Hello, hello, this is Pete from Box Office 30. I wanted to tell you all about something exciting I'm working on and invite you to be a part of it. Recently, I started a little online business selling comic books and other collectibles on the Whatnot platform. It's called Pete's Comics and Collectibles. Apt name, right? What is Whatnot, you may be asking yourself? Well, it's kind of a weird blend between Twitch and eBay. You can find all sorts of great collectibles, both modern and vintage. There's tons of different categories you can follow, and what you do is join live shows that the sellers are putting on, and you can see what they're selling, and chat with them in real time, chat with others in real time, and place bids on items that you might be interested in. Really cool, really fun, and if you win, the items are shipped directly to you. Couldn't be easier. And if you join using my link, you'll actually receive $10 to use in the app. So sign up now at whatnot.com slash invite slash Pete's Comics to get your $10. And that's coincidentally the name of my channel, Pete's Comics. So whether you're a new user or somebody who's been using Whatnot for a while, I'd love for you to come check out my stream. I sell lots of fun stuff, lots of old comics, lots of new comics, lots of other stuff coming up. Maybe some baseball cards, Magic the Gathering, who knows? Again, that's Pete's Comics on the Whatnot app. Hope to see you soon. Thanks. is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box Office 30. 30. Weather Service is calling for a big blizzard thing. Yes, yeah. they are. But you know, there's another reason why today is especially exciting. Especially cold. Especially cold, yeah. okay. But the big question on everybody's lips. Yeah, their chap lips. On their chap lips, chap right. Lips. Do you think Phil's gonna come out and see a shadow? Punks a Tony Phil. That's right, Woodchuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! Get up and shake that hog out there! Yeah! Come here, Groundhog! Hello, hello, and welcome to Box Office 30 for February 1993. I'm Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy and co-host, Michael. How are you, sir? Pretty good. This is probably coming to you in March. Yeah, that's 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 entirely likely, um, given this, that we're recording this on February 28th. This 28-day tw- month really screwed us up. It really did. Yeah, no. I, you know, it's funny is like I think somehow I had in my head like, oh, if Mike and I record that on Tuesday, then I'll be able to get it, you know, out by Friday and that'll be before the month. And I'm like, wait, nope. <laughs> that is not how this month works. We don't even have the benefit of a leap year. So no, uh, yeah, this will probably drop in, in March, but 
I, I don't know how we went from doing two episodes a month relatively on time to being like, you know, one episode on time, one episode late a month to now one episode a month just late. <laughs> I don't know. But it's abysmal. But we'll try to get the March one out in March so that you might have yeah. two, two episodes in March. So, hey. <laughs> We, this was a little trickier a month. Uh, I was away for a while and we kept having other things come up, which I know is like excuses, excuses. That's what we do every month. But I'm, I'm hoping that March will be a more concise month. Yeah. Um, so I say let's just uh, dive right on into this with the new and new to you. Sure. Hit me with the digits, Michael. <laughs> I've got so many. And uh, <laughs> some I want, I don't know why I or how I watched this many movies in, in essentially a month or so, but I did. And I watched a lot. Um, <laughs> so I want to start off with um, Black Panther Wakanda, Wakanda Forever. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we're touching back finally on that one. Yeah. Um, I liked it. It's okay. It's not as good as the first one. Um, I did notice several scenes with editing mistakes and um, I actually called them out in my class that I was, that I'm teaching. And we like, we watched a couple of scenes and found some editing flaws. So even a $200 million movie could make editing mistakes. (laughs) Um, I I don't really love how they, um, played namor uh it's not yeah, how- and just to give a little context for those tuning in i know that you're a bit of a namor fan so i knew going in that you were a little worried about this <laughs> yeah I, I always kind of envisioned him as more of a like a pacific islander as opposed to like a mayan um which is fine i guess whatever I, but like i just didn't like the characterization of him because he's not really a villain and they sort of made him the villain he's i guess a little bit more of a you know i would think of him as like a a good guy version of magneto in the sense that he wants to protect his people but he also is still a hero and a good it's the person. anti-hero trope right you know and i think magneto is the perfect uh, sort of case for that and i know like namor like in the comics i you probably know way more than i do he's not a character that i've traditionally followed but I know that he goes from like being a villain in one issue to being, you know, part of an the Avenger in another issue, you know? Yeah. Um, so I know he kind of like rides that line all the time. So um, I could definitely see that. And, it, you know, it, it struck me once I started really processing the movie after the fact that this was all just one big miscommunication, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of thing. It is kind of funny in a way that it borrows and I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off I didn't I didn't yeah. mean to jump in on on your uh, your thoughts for this but it it sort of borrows this trope that we've seen in Aquaman and like other things where it's like there's this like hidden undersea city it's not really Atlantis in this one they have kind of I think also like a more Mayan sounding name for it, it. Yeah. um and you know, it's just like, well, like we've been secret from the uh, the world above for all this time, but now we're under threat. But normally, and I'll like I'll even go back to Aquaman for this one. Like their whole thing there was like, you know, um, 
what's his name? Sea Seamaster or what? Ocean Master. <laughs> Ocean Master. Thank you. Um, like starts his like war against humanity off by like tossing all the garbage out of the ocean that humanity had put into it. So it's like, oh, well, you know, in that it's kind of like a fair point. You know what I mean? In this one, it was just like, they're stealing our resources. You know? <laughs> but I, I don't know. It was weird. Like it seemed like an odd reaction where like if they could find, um, vibranium down at the bottom of the ocean therefore humanity would come down and look for that therefore it would discover them instead we got to like take it to humanity and fight them seemed like a real big knee-jerk reaction on their part you know and my other thought was like why weren't they there when thanos was attacking yeah well that's like <laughs> and did they get snapped you know we didn't even they didn't even talk about the snap part yeah, for that. they didn't which is interesting because they they really do like in every other marvel project kind of post snap but um it is an interesting point um and i think it even confused some things like for example um nakia and Going off and uh, spoiler alert, folks, <laughs> it is out on Disney Plus, so cover your ears. The fact that T'Challa had a son mm. and like there's like a little bit of like odd math going on with that where it's sort of like, oh, well, why did Nakia leave? And like all of a sudden it's like, well, when you actually think about it, you know, T'Challa essentially died slash snapped away, then was gone for five years and then presumably um, came back just in time to get sick and die again. Right. Um, you know, so there's been like a, like a evolution of time that happened there and it's, you have to kind of like factor that in when you're thinking about the movie. Cause not only is the kid older when we first meet him at the, you know, the tail end of the, of the film, but they're sort of like questioning, like, well, why weren't you here? Why were you gone and everything? And it's like, well, she's been removed from him, presumably, for possibly, you know, well, six I, years. They sort of allude to the fact that he's been visiting her in the time since he came back from the snap, but that essentially for five years, she thought he was dead, you know, like, yeah. so she started a new life elsewhere. Um, but that's getting very minutia. We'll, we'll, we'll get around to that movie in, in another in 30 years. <laughs> I'm sorry, but go ahead with any, any other of your thoughts. Cause uh, I have already said a little bit of my piece on that movie. Um, I just think that they, they, they threw too many different things into the movie that I think were unnecessary. Like I did love the you know, appearance of Killmonger in her like you know vision quest yeah. thing but i think they could have gone with maybe her father or her mother or somebody could have come talk to her i, I just didn't i don't know it just felt like because you could feel that the 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 missing piece of chadwick boseman was so yeah. present there and he's just so charming and charismatic that like he carries a lot of the the weight of the movie and him not being there, you felt that like missing piece. And yeah, but I think that maybe that was part of the, the idea of the story. But I, mean, I can't say unilaterally that they had a plan for this because I don't, you know, I know he was very secretive about his, you know, cancer and, and that he didn't mention it to a lot of people, but I have to imagine that, you know, Kevin Feige or somebody, you know, at the yeah. head of, of Marvel knew something of it. Um, but even assuming not, I'm sure they had plans for him to live longer than he did and to, you know, get into a new movie. So in some ways, 
you know, I think these movies follow, you know, certainly a long cycle between when the concept starts getting pitched to when they, you know, do several drafts of a script to when they start actually producing it and then, you know, start dealing with visual effects. And of course, you know better than most that, you know, movies tend to really get written a second time once you hit the editing room. Right. Um, and so I think this movie suffers from what many other movies have suffered when somebody integral to the plot all of a sudden is not able to be there anymore. Right. Um, which is a little bit of a scrabble and they have to try and pull some pieces together and put a thing together. And I think for the most part, given the circumstances they were given, this movie succeeded, mm -hmm. but I think it also does suffer from like, you know, essentially being like, all right, well, we had this leading man that was like the Black Panther. He's not even going to show up for a second in this film. You know, they're not even doing like, you know, the Carrie Fisher, like, you know, being able to cut clips of her in from a previous movie and do a little digital mimicry and things like that. Like, we're not even going to see him. He's just going to be in a casket right at the beginning, you know. Um, how do you transition that? Because it goes from being one thing to being a very different thing, although sharing a lot of common threads. So I think they did a good job with what they were able to do. As you say, I think there's like a little bit of like a clunky introduction to Namor. There's a little bit of a clunky introduction to Shuri as the Black Panther. You know, I know a lot of people were questioning online, like, oh, she's the Black Panther for like five minutes. She's already doing like kick flips and upside down stuff off the side of the boat. But you have to imagine that that's not Shuri's first rodeo. We probably haven't seen her doing all the backflips and things, but you have to take like, all right, she came out with her like, you know, sonic gauntlets in the first movie and was, you know, putting up a good fight, you know, the Dora, Dora Milaje and all this. Um, but we didn't get to see her shine in any kind of fighting capacity in the first movie. And then she needs to be able to be that alpha fighter in this movie. So it's like, how do you handle that? You know, without right. half the movie being a training montage. So I don't mind so much that they just dove into that. Like, you know, the, you get those powers and all of a sudden everything that you can do is enhanced tenfold, you know? So we see that, you know, with him in the first movie where he has the power stripped away and he's fighting in the river and he's just like, throwing punches and whatever, but his basic fighting skills. But then when he's Black Panther, he's doing the backflips and flying around in all nine yards. Yeah. So I, I think it's a little bit of, of that. I think the suit enhances the, you know, mm -hmm. the wearer's abilities as well and things like that. Um, I, I think the highlight of the movie for me, and again, it's, it's also questionable whether it needed to be in it at all was um, Ironheart's introduction. Like, because that's another character that I I don't know a ton about. I wasn't really reading in, in 2014, et cetera, when um, she was introduced. So I haven't had a lot of intro to her, but it seemed like a, a fun way to get this new character in. And I like, you know, I think one of the things that's kind of bugged me, and I know Spider-Man's supposed to be like a super intelligent character in, in the Marvel universe. By the way, welcome folks to the Marvel podcast. We're not doing box office 30 anymore. <laughs> but, um, you know, the fact that he's become like, Tony's protege has not a hundred percent sat well with me. I kind of liked him to shine on his own, not have to be like just using Stark tech for everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping they like distance that and she starts becoming like the new, like lead in for like Stark tech sort of stuff. Right. Um, which I know is kind of more how things you know are in the books. So I, I would love it to go that way. Um, I can't think of her character's name right now. Um, the head of the Dora Milaje who, who loses her job. Um, 
what's her face from Walking Dead. Right. <laughs> like, I don't love her new character. Like, mm. I don't really, like, understand that. It, it is from the comics. It, it does pull from the, but the, but those suits are not, not good. And I don't. Well, and you know, like she, she was very comfortable and awesome in that role in the Dora Milaje. It felt really uncomfortable. I think for her, you know, like character wise, like she was kind of like unhappy to not be in that role anymore. And then like to be in like that new costume and sort of doing it, it just felt like a weird switch. But again, yeah, I, yeah, I get that's a, a comic, you know, property. So I guess we'll see where it goes, but it, I think the movie suffers from trying to do too many things, yeah. you know, and so therefore it can't do all those things well. So yeah. it does some things well, it does some other things a little clunky as I think what that like 10 minute rant was about. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll zip through the rest of my long list. Okay. <laughs> um, so the next one is a DC animated movie, Super Sons. Did you watch this yet? I have not yet. Oh, I thought it was fun. It's really, really good. I think you would really enjoy it. It's it's funny. It's, you know, heartwarming, but it's also kind of like hilarious and action-packed. And you, it makes you kind of like Damien a little bit, which I normally yeah. don't. Um, Damien's fairly unlikable most of the time. <laughs> so that was my next one. Uh, the next one is uh, Knives Out, Glass Onion. Oh, that's another I have not seen yet. I, I saw and liked the first one. I've heard more mixed things about the second one. I think the first act is really good. The second act's a little weak. And the third act is a little bit um, all over the place. But but it's it's fun. It's not bad. Um, I just, I love Daniel Craig's character in the movie. And he's very, very funny and, and very clever. Um, it feels like the third act gets very rushed, though. And, yeah, uh, I mean, this is the funny part with Ryan Johnson and, and, you know, you could say a ton of stuff about him with the Star Wars property that he took over. But I think what he excels at is like characters and creating kind of like quirky, you know, different characters. I don't think he's great at directing overall. So <laughs> I think that's like it's very hit or miss with his stuff. You know, yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, the next one I have up is. Don't worry, darling. The uh, Olivia Wilde movie, yeah. And I watched this because Adam from the Wizards podcast said it's kind of her Tron Legacy sequel, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if I would classify it as that, but it was actually a really good movie. Very interesting. Um, very cerebral. I I sort of saw where it was going. But I didn't fully realize the um, twist at the end. I definitely recommend seeing it. It's very interesting. Um, it goes in some wild directions. Uh, and Florence Pugh is amazing. It goes in some and- wild directions? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Florence Pugh. Olivia Wilde directed that movie, folks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so she's great. Uh, it's weird to see Nick Kroll just play like a straight man, like just like just, yeah, just I be, bet, yeah. be like not just hit, not yeah. you know, rocks in <laughs> from the league. Uh, yeah. but, but that's pretty funny. Uh, the next one I have is uh, I, I went down like a Allison Bree rabbit hole, and right. I, and I watched uh, somebody <laughs> for one of those. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched somebody I used to know. Um, I really liked it. That's a really good movie. Very, it's. 
I want to call it because she, she and uh, her husband, uh, Dave Franco, wrote and directed it. Oh, interesting. It's their Garden State. Interesting. It's literally Garden State. It's the same movie. Yeah. Last year, I watched um, the entirety of Community um, A to Z, which actually took longer than I thought it was going to. And people told me for years I would like that show. And I think years ago. This guy did. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you among them. There's there's been more than a few that have have been on my back about that. But what's funny about it is like, and you'll, you'll know this in the first like handful of episodes for the first season, they're kind of treating it like it's like a genuine, you know, community college and that these people genuinely want degrees and things. And from there, it just goes off the damn rails and more (laughs) seasons in each season it goes, it gets crazier and crazier (laughs) to the point. It's just like completely bananas by the end. And like that, of course, is like my prime because that's, that's the type of goofy humor I love. But so that was my Alison Brie thing last year. This year I started and I've been finally getting through and I'm loving it. Bojack Horseman. Oh yeah. Plays a character in that. And like, I'm just like, "Eh, yeah, it seemed to be on a kick and I need to get back to glow at some point because I quite enjoyed the first season of that and need to, to get into the second. <laughs> I think where community goes from a normal community college type of show to off the rails is when they do the darkest timeline episode. And it's it like could a be, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely like as soon as they start adding in like a paintball episode every year <laughs> and like you know like things like that, then it gets uh, it gets quite out there. <laughs> so in the I, best ways. <laughs> I watched that movie. I really liked it. I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, then I watched the other movie that just came out of her with her and Aubrey Plaza called Spin Me Round. Uh, it's it's a movie. I'll say that one. <laughs> it's okay. It's not not. It's a little slow, a little boring. Um, it's a little again. It goes a totally crazy direction in the third act, and you're just like, "Where did this come from?" <laughs> it's it's really wacky. Uh, it's not as funny as I'd hoped it would be, but um, it's it's fine. I think if, if you had to pick one of the two, somebody I used to know is way better, way way better. Um, and the last movie that I have on the list. I I'm almost afraid to even talk about it. <laughs> uh, I watched the um, what's his name Jonah Hill, oh. uh, Eddie Murphy movie. You people, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I did not like it. It was not a good movie. <laughs> it was not good. Um, mostly because I just don't believe Jonah Hill in that particular role. Because I see him as you know, the kid from super bad yeah. and that, and now he's playing this like super woke ultra liberal character. And it, it I just don't buy it. He and, has a type and, you know, I'm sure that he hates that. I'm sure he's trying to break free of that. What was it? Moneyball that, that he was in where he sort of took off on like a more serious um, yeah. sort of acting trajectory in some cases. But um like last year, I don't know if you saw this. We might have talked about it briefly in the podcast. They had that movie, Don't Look Up, yeah. which is sort of like an examination of like where we're at as a society right now with sort of like false information and wanting to bury our heads in the sand about, you know, terrible things that are going on and all this. But he played his normal like Jonah Hill type of character in that, which is like loud and yelling all the time and like really annoying sort of you know, like trope. So 
I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'd be curious to see with this one, but I don't, nothing that I've seen about it has like really called out to me just yet. And I gotta say, I've little, I've been a little bit off Eddie Murphy in past years and I love Eddie Murphy, but like, I felt like he's had a few dingers over time and I just like have not been this was not, out to see his stuff. This was not one of his better roles. I, I didn't, didn't like him in this movie. Uh, the female lead who plays opposite Jonah Hill. She's the best part of the movie. She's really charming. I really, really like her. Even though they're a year apart in age in real life, he just looks like 20 years older than her. Yeah, he's a little haggard lately. Yeah, I don't know um, if and, he's uh, living a, living the hard life or what, you know? And, you know, his parents in the movie uh, are played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny. And... I just, yeah, I just don't buy them as a couple and I don't buy her as his mother. Like she's trying way too hard to be like very stereotypical, like wealthy mom, like Jewish Mm. mom. And, and she doesn't like, it doesn't come off genuine. Um, I don't really like that very much. Um, there's a lot about it I don't like. And, and, and the way her and Eddie Murphy kind of like go back and forth, it's, it's just, there's a lot of cheesy little tropes that they throw in there. Like, you know, the Jonah Hill's sister is a lesbian and they like call to it several times. It was just like, uh, they literally try to throw every woke concept you could at you, but it's almost like it was too much. And, mm. and I, I, I wasn't into it and listen, and I, I am, very open-minded. I'm not trying to say one thing or another about anything. I just felt like this movie tried too hard to be something and it failed horribly at it. In my opinion. I can see that. Yeah. And I haven't really heard terribly much about it from anybody. So I don't know if it's had a ton of traction or, or not. And that's, that's my list of movies. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Um, I've got uh, a handful more than I actually realized I did. Um, but there's a few that are kind of, um, interesting ones that have been topics of conversation, uh, you know, sort of passing throughout time for us here on the show. So the one that I finally got around to, and I don't recall if you ever ended up seeing this or not is Top Gun Maverick. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. So here's the thing is definitely a Top Gun movie is definitely like a fighter jet a la the nineties type of movie. And it's fun. It's they did a great job with it, but my mind is still trying to wrap around how it did the numbers that it did, because like this versus like any other like regular kind of action movie that's coming out these days, it just it's just it is what it is. It's like him training a new batch of people to fly this sort of impossible, you know, this impossible mission that they have to go on. Uh, to blow up a thing and, you know, there's all these sort of constraints about it, you know, and he's sort of doing what he's not supposed to be doing. So, you know, the powers that be are mad at him and all this. The footage of the Jets is definitely awe-inspiring. And if I could take a stab as to why it did well in the box office, it's definitely one of these movies that probably does really well on a big screen. It's just full of like cool visual stuff to see. Like, like an and avatar. we were sort of talking about this like avatar. Um, 
So I could see that as being, you know, certainly a draw that people are like, you know what? I don't want to wait for this one on my couch. I want to see this one on a big screen. So that would be the only reason I guess I could say that it, it would do such sort of big numbers. They certainly go out of their way to make it super duper neutral about who they're fighting against. Personally, I'm convinced it's Canada. <laughs> I know others might say that it's Russia, but I'm I'm really thinking it might be Canada um, because it sure looks like parts of Canada, which I guess you could say the same for parts of Siberia or whatever. But um, I'd like to think that it's Canada that we're at war with in this sort of alternate reality <laughs> timeline, <laughs> you know, or like if you want to really go down that rabbit hole, I'd love to even like think about it as like the North and the South did split in the civil war and they're going to war with like, like Montana or something. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be another really uh, a fun take on that. Um, it, but it was totally enjoyable. So, you know, uh, go out there and check it out. Um, I, I'm not going to uh, dig on it any further than that. Um, probably among my favorite movies that I've seen in the last month, um, which I sort of, I had heard things about it going into it where I'm like, this sounds like my kind of movie. And so therefore like, that's why I'm going to give it the praise I am. I will put a little disclaimer here that this is not every man's type of movie. It's not going to be like everybody that's listening to this is going to go out there and be like, wow, Pete is out of his mind. It was a really weird movie because it is a really weird movie, but I finally saw everything everywhere all at once. Oh, I want to see it so bad. <laughs> it is so awesome. I hope it wins all the Oscars. Um, it is depending on what you know about it, either everything you're expecting going in or completely not what you're expecting going in. Um, all the actors in it are amazing, including I can't think of the guy's name, name in real life, but it's short round from yes. Indiana Jones. Like apparently he as an adult has become like a stunt performer and like a martial artist. And he's incredible because he still has that same voice. Yes. <laughs> it didn't change once he hit puberty. Um, he was great. But, at the, I, I watched the SAG Awards and he his speech when he was so good. It was like really touching. Um he, he, I, I, I was like, he's one of those guys you want to root for because he hasn't worked in so long and now he's yeah. getting to work. You're just like, yeah. Well, everybody deserves it. Uh, this is her best movie in my mind since Crouching Tiger. It's, It was just, it was so good. It was so well conceived. It's like the 2020s version of being John Malkovich is how mm. I would put it. It's got that same weird, dark, like humor twist on like a quasi you know not necessarily supernatural because that's more kind of like mysticism but sci-fi um, yeah vaguely sci i mean this one's certainly more sci-fi than john malkovich john malkovich didn't really have an explanation for why when you went through a little door you ended up in his head for 30 minutes or whatever um but uh it's just fabulous jamie lee curtis in this is awesome i didn't think she was going to play as significant a role as she does but she does um and the daughter is awesome and whoever was doing the designing of this, the set designs, like just the visualization of things was having the time of their life and they should win all the Oscars because it was just so bonkers. You know, the costume changes that keep happening 
Um, I'll give you a tiny spoiler in so much as that, and maybe you know this already, that like it sort of involves multiple realities. Yeah, but some of the realities are absolutely insane. So like some of the stuff that comes with that is so, so fabulous. Um, so if I recommend no other movie in, in my short list here tonight to go see, then that's definitely one of them. Yeah, I almost want to resubscribe to Showtime just to watch it because it's streaming on Showtime. <laughs> Um, I did see Paw Patrol, the movie and Blue's Big City Adventure from Blue's Clues. I'm not going to go out of my way to, to talk about those two, but this is what happens when you have a six year old and uh, mommy and older daughter go out of town for a weekend. So you start showing her some some age appropriate stuff. Uh, I will say that she was very high on Blue's Big City Adventure. Um, and it is neat that Steve from yesteryear in Blue's Clues was um, also on there, but Blue's Clues is past my time in general. So <laughs> for those younger than us, it, it might be a, a fun nostalgia trip for you. Um, past that, um, I just saw, and this is going to actually segue us into our, our news segment for this week, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, I don't think you've mentioned seeing this yet. Am I correct in that assumption? I haven't. I wanted to see it last week, but couldn't get around to getting over there. I might see it this weekend, I hope. Um, I've heard mixed things. I've heard the first act is good, and then it just falls apart. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to transition us over to our our kind of Hollywood news segment. So this is like half Hollywood news and half still are new and new to you. Um, I feel like... Ant-Man has really been getting slammed by a lot of people. Um, And as far as the box office goes, it now has, as far as I understand it, it's rated only this. It's rated the second worst Marvel movie on Rotten Tomatoes just after Eternals. Wow. Um, Now, as usual, there's a little bit of a difference between critical reviews and fan reviews and the fan reviews are, are, you know, slightly more favorable for this, but even amongst fans, there's a lot of like discourse on why this movie either succeeds or doesn't succeed. Um, what is interesting, at least in the box office statistics, and I think I have this right. I read this on, on deadline, um, Hollywood that, uh, this had the largest second week drop for any Marvel movie in the MCU. Now, given it has some competition in a movie that people have been clamoring for ever since the first trailer came out, which is Cocaine Bear. (laughs) Cocaine Bear, Creed 3 also came out, you know. So, you know, it it does have a little bit of competition in those things. We are in like February, which is not like the biggest movie going season of all. But I'm worried that it got some really bad word of mouth press and had that fall off for it. That said, it's still tracking to do Marvel money. It's not going to lose money. It's it's fine. Um, here's my spoiler free take on on this movie until you see it. and We can discuss it in more depth. I have no idea what people are talking about. This was a really fun, really good movie (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. Um, I will say that I do understand because I I tried to listen on YouTube to some alternate perspectives to understand where people are coming from with some of the hate that this movie is receiving. I'll approach it on a number of points first. First, the one I already mentioned, which is that it's now second received just after Eternals. 
Eternals is a, a clunky, clunky movie. And it has to do a lot with what you and I were already talking about, which is that they're trying to tackle too much. Um, in the comics right now, and, and you know that I've transitioned from being more of a DC to a Marvel in recent years, um, I've been reading one of the bigger events that they've uh, had going on, which is this uh, Axe Judgment Day and Axe's Avengers, X-Men and Eternals. Uh, and it has to do with uh, the Eternals. If you don't know anything about the Eternals, the Eternals go to war with the X-Men because uh, they decide that they're deviants. They've deviated too far from from, you know, what they expect to be the normal sort of thing on on Earth. Um, I don't love Eternals even in their written form. And I apologize to any listeners of the show out there that might be Eternals fans. Jack Kirby, awesome guy, not one of his stronger creations yeah. in my mind. Um, particularly when you start learning that past like Icarus and, you know, like the main crew of people that there's like a hundred Eternals and it's just too damn many characters. It's the same thing I have over at DC with the Legion of Superheroes too many characters you know like you know given like you have teams like x-men or avengers that have multiple people and they change throughout time and whatever and if you even try and keep up with every character that's been through the x-men it's really damn hard but at any given time it's really usually like eight seven ish to ten ish characters or whatever like when even like in this act stuff i did some pre-reading to try and catch up you know with with the characters a little bit because the eternals feature extremely heavily in this event so i'm like i gotta know a little about them um but it's just so damn hard to wrap your head around who does what and like who whose relationship with who is and this was the problem with the movie they just it's just too many characters and you don't care about it and the execution of the movie is such that like all right, given that they brought along Guardians of the Galaxy and it was a nothing property, people didn't in the main, you know, sort of media going, people did not know it, but it's relatable. It's a bunch of like, you know, losers that, you know, team up and, you know, become a little family and do like a, you know, a big thing together. With Eternals, it's like none of the characters have any chemistry with each other. They they, they even sort of allude that they kind of don't like each other. They've all been separate for hundreds of years. And you don't really care or know what their motivations are. And then like the stakes are really low. All right. They have to fight deviants. Well, what's the deviant? The deviant like is these like weird CGI creature creatures that eventually like evolve into like, you know, um, what the heck was the character from uh, the justice league movie? Um, uh, what is his name? Uh, you know, like, like Steppenwolf or Steppenwolf. Thank you. Yeah. He's basically Steppenwolf. They basically like took the model practically and copied and pasted it to this movie. And like, as you start reading Eternals, you're like, Oh, the return, the Eternals are jerks. Like, you know, the deviants are actually kind of like, you know, fairly normal people. <laughs> like leave them alone. You know what it um, is? Because it's also a Jack Kirby thing. And this is again, a comics thing that not a movies, but like, yeah, this is a real comics podcast tonight. <laughs> uh, Jack Kirby also created the new gods in DC and the new gods and the Eternals are, essentially almost the same exact thing yeah. in, in a lot of ways and again not relatable in a lot of cases um yeah it's it's a thing but but you know it's i'm surprised that this is that quantum medium is rated lower than thor the dark world because that but that's what i'm bad. saying so like and given like i like thor the dark world but i also recognize that it is among 
the bottom of the barrel movies for this. And even with the last Thor movie, um, Love and Thunder, I liked it because I liked the kind of goofy, irreverent theme they were going for with it, even though it's a, a, you know, a slap in the face, I think probably to a lot of Thor purists who are more in for like this, like kind of badass guy with a hammer. So I get that. Um, and I think it could have been better. So I also put that one relatively low yeah. in the MCU list. This movie, I'm not going to say it's like the best Marvel movie out there by a stretch, but I also don't know that I would put it in my bottom five. Um, you know, here's what I would say. Even if you compare this to Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think this is a better movie than that. Really? And I like um, that movie. And and I think it's a likable movie, but, you know, it's another one where I think, you know, and I'm kind of like uh, paraphrasing Angela a little bit here and sort of her feeling on it. You know, she's one that's like, I kind of, kind of doesn't feel that like um, Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd have like the most chemistry together. And I can kind of see that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like dealing with Ghost in that second movie and like some of the stuff that they were dealing with, with getting her from the quantum realm. It's like, you know, like just oddly paced at times and things like that. And I think a little bit of that happens here, too. Um, I think they also ask you to make some leaps with some of the characters in this movie. But if you're like, you know, checking in for Marvel and comic book movies and able to leave your brain at the door, you know, like it's some of the things that you're able to get over relatively quickly. I think... I think the biggest gripe that most people have, and again, I'm, I'm going to absolutely try my best to avoid any kind of spoilers when I say this. People say that the best part of this movie is Jonathan Majors um, in the role as, um, as, Kang. as Kang. But I think a lot of people's least favorite thing about this movie also has to deal with Kang. And that's where I'm going to leave it at. Um, at least until you see it and we can discuss it further than that. Um, the, the thing that I've noticed, at least with the posters and like stuff that they've released is it almost feels like they were trying to do Marvel's quantum realm, star Wars with all these like weird creature characters. That are well, so it it is a little bit that, and if you know anything about the microverse in, in the Marvel comics, which is really what, the the quantum realm is more referred to in the books it also has all these weird kind of oddity creatures and everything so I, I you know i get where they're pulling all that from um i think this movie didn't deliver on what it was promising in the trailers which is fine it's just that i think people showed up expecting one thing and got a different thing because in the trailers they really play up like oh Time. We're out of time. Scott missed all this time with Cassie. Time, time, time. When you get into the movie, like a lot of that that we saw, like it's almost as if they gave this to a trailer house real early on. And the trailer house was like, I guess this is what the movie's about. And then they either changed it in like post editing past that, because I understand. I think that they kind of reduced quite a lot of this movie down to what it, it ultimately is. I think there's a longer cut, cut. slightly in existence. Um, although I think uh, the director Peyton Reed said that that's not 100% the case. So so maybe not. But it's not really about Scott trying to get time back with Cassie. So it's kind of throws people, I think, for a loop. Um, but I went into this movie with all this negativity in my head that people were saying, oh, it's a real bummer. And it's really like, you know, it's, it's just as bad as Eternals and everything. And I was sitting there waiting 30 minutes in the movie like, well, why hasn't it gotten bad yet? 
And then an hour into the movie, I was like, well, why hasn't it gotten bad yet? And then an hour and a half into it, I'm like, well, it, it's definitely not bad yet. And like, if you like the Ant-Man properties, you're going to like this movie. If you're somebody who thinks of the Ant-Man movies as being kind of more comedic and a little, you know, I would I would put it this way. All the Ant-Man movies are in the MCU B-level movies. Mm-hmm. They're not the A-level Avengers movies. And I think that this tracks with that. I think that they know that they're not that A-level character. I think they like to play that up. There's a lot of jokes about like, oh, well, no, I'm not Thor. And, you know, I'm not this, you know, like, you know, sort of thing. So, you know, that character is sort of intentionally being played as sort of like a secondary level, you know, not like the sort of alpha level character. And so they play a little bit with like, if he runs up against this super, super villain, like how are they going to deal with that sort of thing? And in some ways he's uniquely suited to dealing with it. And I won't say any more than that because I think it starts getting into spoilers. Okay. But what I would say is this, this is my, this is my begging people out there. If you have not seen the movie, please go see it and please keep an open mind. You can wait for it for Disney plus, but I would actually suggest seeing this in the theater. It's really cool visual spectacle. It's definitely worth seeing on a big screen. I know you're saying to yourself, all right, it's going to be on Disney plus in a month, but I'll just wait to see it then. A, I don't think it's going to be. I think I've read a few things now that Bob Iger's back that they're going to start pushing how quickly they're bringing things to Disney Plus because they want to add value in the theater. Uh, I think they've seen a little the error of their ways with that. But again, there's a lot to look at in this. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, it's a completely interestingly crafted universe that they've built here. So it's actually a lot of fun to see on the big screen. And then it has this natural growing and shrinking factor to it that is also really lends itself to seeing it on a big screen. I know it sounds silly, but it it does. So don't buy into the negative hype. Give this one a chance. I think you'll find it at least watchable, if not fun and super enjoyable. Okay. That's that's my Quantumania rant. Cool. So now let's get into our Box Office 30 segment for February of 1993. All right. Uh, so I promise folks we're going to get through this stuff a little quicker you know we had Mike and I sort of planned that we were going to do a little bit of a deeper dive on the new and new to you stuff this month but we're not going to talk any more Marvel I don't think post this point so uh, welcome to February 93 there's some decent movies on this list there's some clunkers on this list too but more on that in a minute number one for February is Groundhog Day with a February gross of 36.4 million in the number two spot is Summersby with 31.6 million. And in the number three spot is Loaded Weapon 1 with 23 million in earnings. No poll this month. Um, we kind of just uh, called this one out the gate. I do think we'll throw you guys the poll again for March. So we'll see what you guys come up with for that. So so please go uh, vote on that over on our Twitters, even though Twitter is a dying space. <laughs> I've got to find a new, a new place to host polls. Uh, but but let's uh, let's take a look down the list here. So I would actually start us off with number two because we're going to talk a little bit about 
number one and number four on the list uh, in a little bit here. I looked this movie up for the money that it does. I had no idea what this movie is. And I think the only reason it does the money it does is for who's in it. Yeah. Um, a farmer returns home from civil war, but his wife begins to suspect that the, uh, the man is an imposter. Um, it's a Warner Brothers release, but I don't recall this movie at all. I do. I do. <laughs> okay, I'm, so 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 let us know your recollections then. I remember my parents seeing it and renting it on VHS, mostly because it was Richard Gere and Jodie Foster. And yeah. I don't even know if they finished it. <laughs> like one of those like, oh, I'm going to turn this sucker off kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I could just see knowledge. it being like melodramatic <laughs> yeah. i don't know a thing about it but it's just the tagline and the actors and it strikes me that way so i don't know why it's making me think of um what was that movie when you or i were like in middle school i don't i don't think it was the thin red line it was something like that that was like a like a world one or one-ish drama like sort of thing i don't know <laughs> forget it <laughs> So number five on this list, I know, is a, a old time favorite of your and mine. And this would have been the movie I would have been seeing at, at this age, you know, yeah. which is Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey, not to be confused with The Adventures of Yellow Dog, whatever that <laughs> one was. <laughs> I can't think of a likewise movie, likewise in, in, in premise that a dog gets uh, lost and has to find his way home, but without the talking. So it's a yes. lot less fun. <laughs> yes. Um, so I know you still quote um, Homeward Bound to date, and uh, it still makes me sob uncontrollably, even as a 40-year-old man, when uh, uh, Shadow comes over the hill at the end. Oh, God. I showed that to Zoe um, last year, and like... It's like, he's just too old. He must not have made it. And then like that, the music sweeps and he comes limping over the hill. And I'm just like, ah, like ugly crying on the couch next to my, you know, uh, your children who's like, dad, what the hell? <laughs> you know, sort of. <laughs> not quite. That's, yeah. that's very out of character for her, but she was definitely looking at me like, okay. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Number nine on the list is The Vanishing, which is a movie that I don't recall, but is a Jeff Bridges, Kiefer Sutherland movie and Sandra Bullock, no less. And it says, the boyfriend of an abducted woman never gives up the search as the abductor looks on. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I got nothing for this one, I have to say. You'd think like the vanishing would be more than one person vanishing than just one person, but hey, yeah. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number 12 is a movie called Untamed Heart. Um, does oh, this I one know do anything for you? Yes, yes. This is a uh, Christian Slater movie. I think he's got some sort of like heart disorder. Uh, yeah, so a waitress hardly notices a shy busboy who secretly loves her until one night she's attacked and he comes to her rescue. From their relationship sparks, uh, one secret could mean disaster for the fated lovers because he's like dying of like some sort of mm. heart disease of some sort. And it's Christian Slater, Marissa Tomei, and Rosie Perez. And I remember this movie. It was a good movie. I like this movie a lot. It actually sounds familiar from your description. I'm curious if I saw it on like an afternoon movie thing or something like that, because it, it does sound 
familiar, but they, they do give away the secret right there in the, uh, in the title. (laughs) So, so somehow I landed on number 15 of army of darkness. This was was intentional. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, it was fated to be this way. Um, so I've never seen army of darkness. I know nothing about it other than Ash with the chainsaw hand. And he, and he travels back in time to like some sort of medieval time and fights, skeletons and zombies you've you've basically got it yeah um i i don't know how you and i are doing this episode without me having made you sit down and watch this for the movie for the month um it would be like the reverse of like a veto like (laughs) that's just like no i'm jumping all the way down to 15 because i want to do that one um I did not see this when it came out. It was definitely <laughs> above my my punching level when it came out. But when I was in middle school, I had a friend who introduced me to this. Uh, and I saw this before I saw the Evil Dead movie. So this was my introduction to Ash. Um, it was the perfect middle school, like rent, like a scary slash silly movie on a Saturday night and have a sleepover thing. And that's exactly the context I saw it in. And it's just a lot of fun. And I think this is, you know, uh, there's people that are fans of evil dead. Um, There's people that are fans of evil dead Two, which is evil dead one, just redone, (laughs) you know, with more budget. Um, And then this is kind of the true spiritual successor second movie. They consider it the third movie in the, in the quote unquote trilogy, but it's really and truly the second movie because the other two are like the exact same movie just done over. Um, but this is where Ash becomes mainstream. It becomes a thing. You know what I mean? And now I know, um, and it, it's really bad of me that I haven't seen it yet, but I know that they've done like an Evil Dead um, like kind TV, of TV series in the past few years. Uh, there's been a Evil Dead uh, video game that I have not played. So I am losing all of my um, Army of Darkness cred by saying these things. But it is going to be my life's mission one time when you and I are like, for some reason on our own on a, you know, a stag weekend to sit down and make you watch this movie. And it could be that when we do that, that I'm like, wow, this movie was way worse than I remember, (laughs) but I'm still going to make us do it. I I have a plan for that to be a a thing at some point, but uh, I think it's really funny. Uh, It's where I really got introduced um, to Bruce Campbell um, who, I just love to death and I, I got the honor of meeting him and uh, photographing him um, at New York comic con uh, for comic book resources at a point. And it's uh, f- happily enough, still one of my uh, all time most stolen photos on the internet. And I'm happy to let people steal it. Really? Cool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, because it was on like comic book resources as part of their coverage. So, it, you know, people just started swiping it for their copies of the stories, even though I was in a line of, um, uh, you know, press photographers, I got the really good shot with him, like, you know, doing like the finger point at me and, you know, he's in like a red uh, suit and everything. So it's just completely over the top Bruce Campbell. I'll see if I can post it on our socials. Um, but uh, between him and a picture of um, uh, what the hell is his name? The place Phil Coulson. I, I, damn it, swore I was not going to get back to Marvel. And here I am. But when they did Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and they brought him back for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I covered the same panel um, that same Comic Con, and that's also another one of my most stolen uh, images out on the web. So, uh, fun fun fact. That's pretty cool. Uh, number sixteen. I mean, actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to do just just jump through number sixteen and twenty here really quick, uh, which is the Temp and the Cemetery Club. 
Um, the temp sounds like one of these. I don't know if you know either of these two. I, I was reading the descriptions. The temp sounds like one of these, like it's another type of movie. I feel it like kept popping up in the nineties where it was like, somebody hires a woman to do a thing, but then it turns out the woman is like a psycho and she's going to like stalk and, and kill them. And they had <laughs> several, several movies like this, like, um, the secretary, the one? The, the, yeah, that like, well, does she kill him in the end? I don't remember. No, she falls in love with him and marries him. Yeah. That one's kind of got a different thing. That one's kind of more like a, uh, BDSM sort of thing. If I recall. Yes. Um, uh, but I was thinking like the babysitter, um, oh, you know, um things like that. Or like um, Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Yes, yeah. So it's kind of more in a vein of those sort of things. The Cemetery Club looks to be the equivalent for like 80 for Brady that's coming out. Oh, Um, that movie looks horrible. Oh, man, that 80 for Brady looks so bad. I I can't even believe they they made that movie. (laughs) I got to pause here because I just realized you sent me a link and it has my image. But the cool thing is they gave me credit, but it's a version of the image being stolen because this is not (laughs) this is on a website called criminalelement.com. So perfect point in case um, that they gave me image uh, the credit for it, which is nice. But uh, it it is one of the uh, versions of it that has found its way away from comic book resources, which is where it was originally supposed to uh, to be. So you can I don't know how many of them exist to date, but they were out there for a while. I digress. So next one on number 23 is a great movie called Falling Down. Um, yeah. Ar- arguably Joel Schumacher's best movie uh, in relation to the Batman movies, which we've, you know, we don't even need to go there. We've well, talked. you've got to take a moment to pitch now because we just we just talked <laughs> a lot of Joel Schumacher. Sure. So uh, on the Wizards podcast Patreon, there's an exclusive episode about – Batman Forever that Pete and I are on with Adam and it's only available on Patreon. If you want to check it out, you can subscribe and listen to it. We talked, you know, for a solid two hours about Batman Forever and our feelings, positive or negative. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so if you're interested in checking it out and you want to hear my thoughts versus their <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> and they might not be what you think, given that Mike is the perennial Batman fan. I'll say that much. But it was a, a super fun time. Um, great episode. Uh, I think it, it goes up relatively uncut, right? Yes, pretty much. Yeah, so you should get all the uh, the bells and whistles then. But uh, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really fun time recording that. So definitely check that out over on, on the Wizards uh, po- uh, Patreon channel there. And then next we have the Judas Project, which I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't, but when I was going through this list, I had to look it up. But let me read you the little log line here first. Oh, boy. How would you react if Christ had reappeared on Earth today? Would mankind repeat their mistakes or accept? This movie is about a modernized second coming of Christ. Instead of facing Romans, there are different obstacles in these modern times that you have to face. I have to tell you, I really want to see this movie. (laughs) Um, I started Googling it and it sounds like Jesus returns, but with like superpowers. (laughs) And it, it, it was a total bomb. It only does 2.8 million ever, which again, I, for a movie like this, I guess you could say is actually a success. I have no idea. Yeah, I have no theater. idea what their budget is, you know, um, and I don't know how they get to that number, but 
Um, it is what it is, but <laughs> even just the poster for this is really something else. So I, I, I kind of want to see if I can dig this one up now. <laughs> so stay tuned. You might never hear me mention it again, but you just might uh, in, in my new and new to use next month. We'll have to see. Oh, my goodness. Uh, number 32 on the list is a movie called Love Field. Um Nope. <laughs> uh, devastated by President Kennedy's assassination, Dallas-based hairstylist Lorene Hallett boards a bus for the funeral in Washington, D.C., where she meets a perplexing father and his daughter who greatly impact her journey. Uh, it has Michelle Pfeiffer as the headlining actress in it. Um, but past that, I, I we're tying back into uh, returns there again, kind of, via the uh, connection. We're doing the... Uh, <laughs> Kevin Bacon degrees of separation here. Um, otherwise, I have nothing from that one. So now we've hit our first of a couple. Two. Miramax. <laughs> um, Strictly Ballroom, a maverick dancer risks his career by performing an unusual routine and sets out to succeed with a new partner. So it's, you know, Saturday Night Fever. movie. <laughs> I'm like, what is this movie? A maverick dancer. It feels like like the Miramax version of Saturday Night Fever and Staying Alive. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, see, I wonder where this falls in the Boz Lerman of things. Let me look it up real quick. Um, because he has that, uh, or I don't know if it's still out, but he had Elvis out. And I know a lot of people were like fairly positive on, uh, on that. So while you're looking at it. This is on his first writing credit. Oh. Um. <laughs> And his first directing credit. Yeah, so this is the introduction of Boz Lerman. You're welcome, world. <laughs> wow. I was going to say, because it seems early, you know, like 92. Like, I was trying to think if there's anything else, you know, like uh, one of the movies of his that I, probably the only movie of his that I, I really love um, comes a few years after this, which is Romeo and Juliet, um, which was with Claire Danes and, and Leo. Um, I oh, I like you know, my you, you know, I'm like, is it like your pal Leo? He just, you know, you yeah, know, yeah, Leo, yeah, Leo yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're on a, we're on a cash basis, yeah, my buddy, my buddy Leo. Um, yeah, <laughs> ne- next one up is a movie that I love, yes, <laughs> is El Mariachi, which is the first Robert Rodriguez movie, and it's basically the prequel or original version of what will eventually become Desperado. Yeah, or, it's like or, a spiritual, or, you know, precursor. Yeah, <laughs> or like the origin story of uh, El Mariachi's, the, the guitarist in Desperado. Yeah. Um, this movie had like a very small budget of like $10,000 or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. And, and it makes two point, almost $2.1 million in a way. And it's a fantastic movie. It has a huge cult following. I saw it for the first time in college on DVD. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, do you do you have a recollection of how or who you came across that? Because I only ever saw Desperado in this at college too. So I'm either A, wondering if we watched it together, or B, <laughs> if it was required watching for like one of Vince's class or something like that. I I remember we were someone was having a conversation with me and I saw the DVD in Best Buy and mm. bought it. So I don't know if I watched it alone or if I watched it with you. I couldn't tell you, but 
there was a reason why I had to watch it. And I was like, Ooh, I'll watch this. Check it out. And yeah, it's they're really, both really fun movies. I, I think they're both really good. And especially yeah. for, like you say, the lower budget on this, they get a lot of really cool stuff done with it. You know, it's sort of yeah. the, uh, I don't want to, again, this, as far as Robert Rodriguez goes, I don't know if this is, like one of his first like this is, real this movies. This is his first movie. This is his first first right, movie. So I was going to say, I think this was also probably my introduction to Robert Rodriguez. Well, I say that, but I probably saw some things like Sin City and stuff maybe before. I think I, I, I definitely saw Desperado before I saw this. And because yeah. I like Desperado, I went back and watched this. Um I can't think of other movies that, I mean, other than... You know what? Oh, I th- you know, I pr- I'm trying to think through my movies that I probably saw from Dust to Dawn first. Yes. That's probably my very first Robert Rodriguez movie. So I take it completely back. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Desperado and El Mariachi are super fun movies. So, so do check those out, despite it being fairly low at the uh, bottom of our... Although it is a February 26th release. So I, we will give it that, uh, that uh, caveat. So the next one, I'm actually pretty surprised it's so low on the list because this movie won. Well, a t- Miramax. <laughs> yeah, but it won a ton of awards that year. Uh, this is like Water for Chocolate. It had a you know a pretty decent gross overall, and it's I forget who's in it. Is this like a Daniel Day Lewis or is it? Uh, no, but it's a it's a foreign film, but it does really well in like the Oscar season and everything and the award season. But I remember this movie. I never saw it because I think it's in Italian. But um, yeah, it's not exactly a great movie for people to want to enjoy. But basically, <laughs> when tradition prevents her from marrying the man she loves, a young woman discovers she has a unique talent for cooking. And that's the nice. log line. Nice. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's essentially it's an Italian film by Miramax film. It does big in the box office eventually for what it is, and it does big in the like award season kind of thing. So So we're down here now in the like hundred thousand or sub hundred thousand end of the list, forty through forty-four. And I'll just run us through a couple of them really quick. I'm gonna skip one and come back to it. Uh we have to want to fly. Mac and Visions of Light, um, none of the three of which I've ever heard of. Um, 42 is Dead Alive. Uh, and the only reason Whoa. I know this movie, and I it's think I've mentioned this. Yeah, I know. It's creepy, right? Uh, I, I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but when Lord of the Rings came out and hit, and I was already a Lord of the Rings person having um, read the books uh, in high school when those finally dropped when we were in college later, I was like, Peter Jackson is a genius. I got to find all things Peter Jackson. So I found this. I found like Meet the Feebles. I found like all these um, older things. And um, it's a horror movie. It's a super low budget horror movie. It's among some of the first stuff he was producing. Um, You know, (laughs) this one is under Trimark Pictures. Uh, It only does $29,000 in 11 theaters. So it kind of tells you where Peter Jackson was and where he ends up ultimately. So what a success story, but um, it's, I got to give him, it's full of like, he did a lot of like cool, um, like creature shop and makeup sort of stuff in these early movies, like with like stop motion and things like that, that ends up creating Weta. And Weta is everything now. Like I think in some ways Weta has either met or is in some ways even surpassed ILM um, ILM uh, for some of the visual effects stuff out there. Like if you sit through, credits on any kind of like big deal um 
you know, visual effects heavy movies. You'll find Weta in there somewhere these days. They are like creme de la creme. And it all gets its start in movies like Dead Alive. So it's it's really kind of cool to see yeah. where it goes. Humble beginnings, too. So I felt like I had to give it a little place of, of honor here. Um, and then at number 44, and I'm a little confused why it's on this list, and I'll get into that, is the, um, I believe, uh, released in the 80s, maybe 90, I forget, a uh, movie which I love to death, The Abyss. Um, and they call this The Abyss 1993 Special Edition. Now, they have it dropping on February 26th in two theaters to a grand total of $12,378. I know The Abyss 1993 as a VHS re-release of the original film from theaters um, as the director's cut, essentially. Right. So I get the impression that they put this out on VHS at that point and they went like, hey, for kicks, why don't we throw it into like two theaters, presumably in New York or L.A. Right. Um, at this time as well. And they had like some small little take for that. They probably did like a one or two night or, or one week sort of showing is how they came up with this 12,378 is what I'm, is what I'm imagining. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure this is the only version of this movie I've ever seen because I did not see the original in the theaters. Yeah. Um, so I don't really have a basis of comparison. I do know that from what I've read um, that this kind of director's cut or special edition, whatever you want to call it is slightly more well-received than the original. They kind of did more. Um, it's a longer cut. They they have like more with like Ed Harris, like descending, which is one of the most gripping scenes of the movie um, and things like that. So um, another one out there, folks, if you have not seen The Abyss, go check it out. That uh, forms the basis of James Cameron becoming a lot of the force that he became too down the road. So um, cool, cool visual effects for especially the time he did it in. So uh, especially like uh, morphing effects that they, he goes on to use in like T2 and things like that. Yeah. So well worth checking out even for that. That's going to do it for our uh, box office list uh, this month. So uh, let's let's wrap this sucker up with our reviews of Loaded <laughs> Weapon 1 and Groundhog Day. All right. So I'm doing a, I told Michael I'm doing a little different format than how I normally do this uh, intro, but uh, we're going to start tonight with Loaded Weapon 1 and we'll we'll talk through that and then we'll get to Groundhog Day in a, in a little bit. Um, but I, I kind of changed how I normally talk about this. So bear with. So Loaded Lep uh, Weapon 1 was written and directed by Gene Quintano and stars Emilio Estevez and Samuel L. Jackson. The film is a spoof of popular action movies at the time, particularly the Lethal Weapon franchise, and features a host of celebrity cameos. The plot centers on the partnership between two cops, Jack Colt Estevez and Wes Luger Jackson, who are investigating a series of murders involving the illegal sale of cookies. As they delve deeper into the case, they discover a conspiracy involving corrupt politicians and a weapons manufacturer. The movie's filled with over-the-top action sequences, outrageous gags, and irreverent humor. The cast also includes notable actors such as Tim Curry, Kathy Ireland, William Shatner, Whoopi Goldberg, among others. And during its opening weekend, Loaded Weapon 1 grossed $5 million in the United States, opening in fourth place at the box office. It went on to make a total domestic gross of $28 million with a $8 million budget. Um, 
so let's review this thing. So I know you had some some thoughts uh, that you were mentioning earlier to me about this movie. So I'm going to let you uh, jump right in there. Okay. So <laughs> I have for years spoken highly of this movie, saying how much I liked it as a kid. And now rewatching it as adult, <laughs> it's one of those cases where it's like, don't meet your heroes kind of thing. <laughs> um it's a bad movie. It's pretty bad. It's well, I, so this so, is what's so funny is like I think you and I had this exact same thing happen to us because when we were like recollecting about it last week and saying, "Oh, we're going to do this movie." A, I think I was confusing some parts of it with um like Spy Hard and, you know, some of the similar likewise movies. So hold that thought. Sure, so sure. I I want to get into that because this movie was tagged as National Lampoons loaded weapon one yeah it is not a national lampoons movie at all it's much more in line with the naked gun movies spy hard the uh scary movie type franchise it's yeah, like hot it's shots etc right it's more vignette style movie and not like what i would visualize national lampoons when you think of the vacation movies or van wilder which are actually like a cohesive story yeah. um that being said, I don't know how this movie did not kill Samuel L. Jackson's career. <laughs> is bad. Well, so to like dive into like the reverse sort of things, I had to look it up myself. Um, it was a success at the time for mm-hmm. sure. So I think that's part of it. I think um, how it holds up now versus some of the others in its, in its brethren that you just mentioned. Um, probably at the bottom of the list for me, you know, like airplane and spy hard and hot shots, like watching those now feels better than watching this now. Now with that said, you know, you and I in this podcast are coming off having just done lethal weapon three last year. And if you could like reverse time 30 years and sort of be like, all right, there's not a ton of, all those, you know, multiple spy hards, et cetera, like all of them out, although there's a few of them out at this time, you probably would have gone to the movie theater and been like, oh, it's another one just like those. And like, it might have felt like maybe not as good as one of those other ones, but like in a vein with them, I think. And this could be budget. um, It could be directorial or DP choices. I'm not really sure. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it feels dated. The other movies are all dated as well because they're all dealing with topical humor of the time, but they look less dated. Something about this movie looks dated. And I think that might be part of the psychology that you and I are experiencing on this one. I will say it was funny. I had definite laugh out loud moments at some of the humor. But when I was done watching it, I was like, this is my least favorite of this type of spoof movie. A hundred percent. The only things that I really liked. So I love the Bruce Willis cameo where like the machine the gun. Cameos are like the best parts of this <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That, that like was the really Whoopi Goldberg scene. I was dying. Yeah. <laughs> like, like when he keeps like shooting her and then having more questions to ask her, she keeps saying, I was dying. That was so great. I was like, I, I love and miss that movies these days don't do things yeah. like that. You know, I, I will say that between this and necessary roughness, Kathy Ireland is the best part of this movie. 
And she's one of the best parts in that movie. And I don't understand why she doesn't have a bigger movie career because she's so charming in this movie and so funny. And the scene where where she and Emilio Estevez are doing the Lethal Weapon 3, you know, Mel Gibson, Rene Russo wound thing is hilarious. It's really, really funny. And I'm just like, she's so charming in it. I, I don't understand. And, you know, Tim Curry's pretty funny in it when he pops up here and there. But, yeah. like, overall, like, I don't ever need to see this movie again. Like, I could go the rest of my life and be like, yeah, I can see why this didn't get a sequel kind of thing. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I, that's something I also found is that they had, you know, when you start to watch this and it says Loaded Weapon 1, I think, A, they're putting the one in there as a little bit of a joke, especially because they are following the Lethal Weapon series most closely with with what they're doing here. But B, they fully intended to make more, more of these, and then they didn't. <laughs> so yeah. I don't quite know why, because it did decent enough money. Um, you know, like it, it you know goes on to make, like I said, twenty eight million dollars, and you know, guaranteed for like whatever they had to pay to do this one. I'm sure it at least broke, even if didn't make a little extra money. I think where, if I had to guess, it's sort of like you're saying that if it's being put together by National Lampoon and like they didn't feel like it hit to their standards, they might have just been like, nope, <laughs> you yeah. know, or like for all you know, like, I mean, I'm sure there's actually like a lot of really good reasons that I should have done some more homework on this. Like it could have been that Emilio didn't want to do another one. You know, it could have been that anybody didn't do one, you know, want to do another one and come back for this. So our Samuel, you know, whoever didn't want to do another one. Um, I guess we'll never know, <laughs> you know, but what I will say, this is my one takeaway from, from having watched this again is despite this one being a little bit of a miss for me, I do wish they would do a few more movies like this. Now, I don't know if the audience is out there for it, but if they, here's what I would relate it to. And again, it's not really a, a, a one-to-one, but one of my favorite really irreverent humor movies, like in a quasi vein to this in like the past, like two decades is wet, hot American summer. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just insane. And it's, it's playing up the trope less of like, uh, like a movie, but more poking fun at like, summer camp and in particular like a jewish summer camp like in the 80s um and it is so fun and so funny and maybe like in my top five comedies of all time um i wish more you know like netflix and things would take a chance on this now that said netflix did a wet hot american summer series yeah kind of wasn't as good yeah it was not a good i I, I could see that you know being like a little reason for why that might not be the case but i really wish somebody with a mind for writing these type of really wacky out there movies would come back and do another one um because there's like and you know like think of things like scary movie, like in like the aughts, you know, we in the aughts, they're even doing some more yeah. of these sort of things. I just feel like we've gotten to a point now in like the, the 2010s and 2020s. And somebody could probably write me and point out a few that I'm not remembering where we've got all this like superhero movie culture and like, you know, all sorts of stuff that you could really like poke fun at that might be really fun to do another one. So even if it was like the Wayans brothers coming out and doing like another sort of thing like this, it could be they a did, lot of fun. There was a superhero movie 
that came out like a like a spoof one that in the same vein of the uh, scary movie franchise. And there was like some movie called Movie Forty Two, I think, at some point. That yeah, came out. but I feel like I feel. I mean, Movie Forty Two. I can't recall how new that is. I feel like the superhero one you're referencing was like a twenty. Either like aughts or twenty yeah. early twenty ten ish one. I, I just don't remember, but I I do recall the, that's what I'm actually thinking about as as I'm saying they should make fun of superhero movies. I was thinking about that. Um, I don't remember if I ever saw that. Or yeah, not, it, yeah, it's, it's actually called. I think it's actually called superhero movie two thousand eight. Okay, I was right. Yeah, yeah. but like I, I'm sure that like the Netflixes of the world or somebody could like throw a little budget at somebody to put a, another like set of sort of spoof movies together in this day and age. It would be a lot of fun. Uh, in my mind, because I really always like that super silly um, humor where it's like, you know, pun a minute. Yeah. Sort of, uh, like, sort like of I, I know how much you love like Airplane and that kind of stuff. And, you know, and we both love the the Hot Shots movies. So, yeah, I I, I could see you. There, there's still an audience there. I don't think there's a theater audience for it, but there's definitely a streaming audience for it, for sure. Yeah. Oh, you found it. Yeah. Hit Mike, in the meantime, is uh, he's, he's doing double duty here. He's not only running down his thoughts, but he also found uh, the superhero movie. So yeah, 2008. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad that that was, it's, I'm That's a weird version of me being happy that something is from that long ago. Cause I had in my head that it was a while back versus there's a lot of other things where I'm like, well, that was only recently. And then I find out it was like 2008 and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> so that's not so bad. Um, but let's move on to a, a, much more interesting and much more fun movie, which is Groundhog Day. So Groundhog Day was directed by Harold Ramis, who also co-wrote the script with Danny Rubin. The film stars Bill Murray as Phil Connors, a cynical TV weatherman who's assigned to cover the annual Groundhog Day event in Poxitawney, Pennsylvania. When Phil wakes up the next day, he realizes that he's reliving the same day over and over again. As the time loop continues, Phil begins to explore different ways to break the cycle and finally escape the never-ending Groundhog Day. In addition to Murray, the movie features a talented cast, including Andy McDowell as Rita Hansen, Chris Elliott as Larry, and Stephen Toblowski as Red, or Ned Ryerson, who I noticed finally for once that you've got your, your name tonight as Phil, Phil Connors. <laughs> uh, so I had to, I had to throw him in there. Um, and during its opening weekend, Groundhog Day grossed 12.5 million in the United States, opening in second place at the box office. The film went on to make a total domestic gross of 70,906,973 and a worldwide gross of the same with a $14.6 million budget. Okay. So, now, you know that I love this movie, so I I, I'm again going to let you uh, lead okay. off on this. <laughs> so I liked this movie as a kid. I loved this movie this time around. <laughs> the movie's It's like a fine wine, isn't it? Yeah. It just gets better with age. <laughs> yeah. So the as the movie starts, Phil Connors, he, like, he's cynical, but he's also like, you know, I would say pessimistic and yeah, he's you know, Murray's his normal uh, sarcastic, you know, self for sure. But there are parts of him like, he's me. I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the things he says about the people of like, you know, the, the, the town of Punxsutawney, like, you know, he's like, yeah, they, they're Hicks. Or <laughs> and he just says these funny things. It, makes me laugh out loud the first half an hour of the movie i am rolling i will also say this is the only role that chris elliott has ever done that i actually like him in 
Pardon. No woogie for you? <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but so as I'm going down the rabbit hole of watching this movie, and I'm thinking about this in, in, a, in a lot of ways. So I really looked at this as more than a comedy. So I, I want you to go down this rabbit hole with me for a minute. I wonder if you're about to say the same thing I was about to say. <laughs> so Proceed. So... And someone brought this to my attention. First of all, he may have been reliving the same day for thousands of days, tens of thousands. So I have a fun fact for you for that. Um, so in the movie, it's never explicitly stated, although they allude at least one time that it's it's about a year. However, on, on quasi on record, Harold Ramis says that while there is no answer, he imagines that he was repeating that day for around 10 years. That's kind of what I feel like. It felt like thousands of days. Like it just kept going and going and going. And, you know, the fact that he was able to learn the piano and learn CPR and do all these different things and, you know, analyzing all these people and who knows how many times he kills himself. Like it had to have been for a long time that this was going on. And here's where the twist comes. He's the devil. <laughs> You're the devil. <laughs> he, he is some Satan type of a character because he's manipulating the entire thing in one way or another to so you're learn. saying it's WandaVision. <laughs> maybe, maybe. He's, he's inside the hex. <laughs> yeah. I, Damn I, it, I brought up Marvel again. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeez. I, I got a one-track mind here today. You know, essentially, you know, he manipulates Rita by learning everything about her and uses it to his advantage for him for her to fall in love with him essentially in one day because he's learned everything there is to know about her and uses that to his advantage you know he learns everything about every person in town he knows when the the bank is going to pull up and he steals the money and he knows like he literally manipulates the entire course of action in the entire universe of that that world for 10 years essentially so, I so think here's what's interesting. <laughs> you and I did the same thing, but we have a different hot take on exactly what we thought. We sort of started to think past the movie and like what the, the depths or repercussions or, or, you know, what you could possibly like take away from it. I came at this, interestingly enough, from a different angle. Now, given this is because I've seen this movie a ton of times. I've seen the Broadway show, which was awesome. Oh, really? That's cool. Um, Yes. Yeah, it was great. Um, I was trying to think of who it was the other day and Angela's going to um, kick me for not remembering who the actor was um, because it was somebody really good that that did the role. I don't remember if it was Roger Bart or somebody like that. But anyway, it was awesome on Broadway. But um, I couldn't help on this watch through, but take a psychological sort of approach to it this time. Oh, yeah, for and sure. I had a bit of what you're thinking, except I was sort of thinking about like, who did this to Phil? I wasn't necessarily right. saying like, he's the devil or he's, you know, whatever. I had, I had sort of two thoughts. I had like the lost sort of thought, which is like, A, is he in purgatory until he fixes himself sort of, sort of thing, which is I think probably a, a common take. I think probably some people look at this movie as 
that being the case. And then like his like personal heaven, as it were, is like, you know, heading off uh, with Rita at the end, sort of down in like this, like snow covered, you know, beautiful mm-hmm. sort of town, whatever. Um, but the take that I had on this actually has to do with the stages of denial. So I wrote up a little something. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read through it and bear with me and and feel free to jump in between the points if you think I'm onto something here, Mm -hmm. because I don't know why I never really noticed this before, but the movie is really divided into very separate sections about how Phil is dealing with this stuff. And I finally sat down and tried to put words or thoughts to what he's doing throughout this. So this is a little more thought out than I normally do for for these reviews, but let's see what you think. So number one is denial. So at first, Phil's in disbelief about the situation and thinks it's a strange one-off event. He tries to make sense of what's happening to him, but he can't find a logical explanation. So that's kind of like his first day or two, his first loop or two is, is him like, is, is somebody pulling a prank on me? Yeah. You know, like, like what's sort of happening? Number two, experimentation. After realizing that he's stuck in a time loop, Phil begins to experiment with his actions, testing the boundaries of what he can and cannot do. He indulges in various vices, such as binge eating and drinking, taking advantage of people's predictable behavior. So this is where we start to see him, like, as I just definitely said, like, you know, going a little heavy on, you know, drinking and then, you know, acting, you know, crazy on certain things. But he also starts realizing that everybody in the town is going to do the same thing, the same time, the same day. And then he can start like manipulating that. So, he, you know, before even Rita, he like meets a woman in like, I think the diner and um, starts like being like, oh, well, I was like the person that was sitting next to you in in high school. And like he starts using that the next day to, to do it. He's eventually trying to like sleep with her. So he starts like, you know, playing around with what he can do with this newfound thing. Number three, depression. As time passes, Phil becomes bored and frustrated with the repetition of his life. He starts to feel depressed and experiences a sense of hopelessness, believing that he will never be able to escape the time loop. So this is the section of the movie where he starts essentially trying to find ways to kill himself. And, right. like you know, he's, he's all upset. This is also my favorite scene in the movie, which is where he steals the groundhog in in a complete like set of mania and drives off a cliff in this like extremely awesome over the top sequence. The first time I saw this movie, I laughed like crazy for minutes afterward. Like other stuff was happening and I wasn't seeing it because I was still laughing. And that holds today. I still Love that to death. And they yeah. managed to do a version of it in the Broadway show that was fabulous as well, too, uh, with miniatures, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's just so great. Like, that scene, like you could just picture it. Him at the wheel with the groundhog also with his paws on the wheel. It's just like, it's so zany and perfect and amazing. For me, it's the absolute peak of this movie. So number four, I have acceptance. Eventually, Phil begins to accept his situation and tries to improve himself. He starts to learn new skills, such as playing the piano, speaking French, and he becomes more caring and empathetic towards others. And finally, number five, redemption. Through his experiences in the time loop, Phil undergoes personal transformation, becomes a better person. He learns to appreciate the value of life and the importance of relationships and ultimately redeems himself by using his knowledge of the time loop to help others. So, you know, again, he does have a few more failed loops once he gets into this redemption stage, but he tries to like for a while, he's trying to save the homeless man that he discovers from dying. And no matter what he does, 
he doesn't seem to be able to save him. And, you know, he kind of eventually has to give up on that too. But then he ultimately finds his redemption in like treating his coworkers, especially Rita um, better. And, and like, he's not necessarily chasing tail the last time that he does end up with her. He's more just like, you're a good person. And I, you know, I appreciate you. And then, you know, like, you know, she ends up staying over and it's, it's not, explicitly implied whether the two of them like get together necessarily or if she just sleeps over well he um, says to her the next day let's move here yes okay. yeah and like and like even to that point you know like you were mentioning before like he's making fun of all the local townspeople they're they're hicks and i can't believe i have to keep leaving you know yeah, new york or wherever it is that he's coming from i forget um to to come there and, and report on it and like the last thing that they say like she's like you know they're walking down the street outside and she's like, oh, isn't it nice? And he's like, it's beautiful, you know? And like, you, you realize that he's come very full circle and realized to learn and appreciate this. So I don't know, like, you know, then revisiting like kind of what you're saying after that, like who put him in this situation? Is, right. it, is it like the proverbial God figure? Is he, is he in a kind of purgatory until he gets his life better? You know, it's an interesting thing because there's a lot of movies that are, in this kind of a vein, not necessarily time loop, although there's a lot of media out there that, you know, experiments with the time loop sort of thing and how you ultimately have to break it. Um, but certainly in the vein of like, there's other movies like this where it's like, until you get yourself right, you're going to have to deal with blah, you know? And it's like, they'll saddle the character with something that they have to deal with, whether it's they turn them into a cat until they solve their murder or, you know, like whatever the case might be, you know, <laughs> like there's a lot of movies that do something like that. What I think is really interesting about this movie is they never really approach it. You know, right. I think he has a few like yelling at the sky sort of moments, but like he never really delves into like, who's doing this to me? Why, why, why did this happen this to me? You know, like they don't get into that. It just really more involves him and his interactions with people. And of course, like it's funny um, because it's Bill Murray and because some of the, you know, scenarios they set up are very funny, but it's also really charming and heartwarming. And I think mm -hmm. that's why this movie has stuck with me over the years is that like you, you kind of think about it like, Oh, Groundhog Day is that's such a great movie, such a funny movie, but it's really a heartwarming film. Like, yeah. especially in the last act, it's like, it's really like, is Bill Murray being really sweet, which he doesn't, often get to do, you know, yeah. at times. So it's kind of cool seeing that. So, I, you know, again, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. This movie has always worked for me. It still works for me. It's still one of my favorites for this sure. Is, this is a thousand times better than What About Bob? I'll just put that out there. <laughs> but I will, I will say, say, you know, it's funny. I was talking with my brother-in-law and I think I mentioned to you that Angie likes What About Bob? Um, it might've even been part of what we were talking about when we were dealing with the thing, but I was chatting with him about it and uh, i said oh you gotta listen to our podcast about what about bob he's like oh i love that movie i'm like you're not gonna like our podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the one funny hot take about uh groundhog day in a lot of ways it's very similar to scrooged yeah so so like good point so again like that's another one of these things where it, you know scrooge is a, a take for those that might not somehow know it on Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol. Yeah. 
and it's sort of like a modern, you know, jerky surprise, like he's playing a jerk character yet again, you know, seems to be his lot in life. I'll mention that his character in Quantumania is also a jerk character, as it turns out, too. It's Bill Murray being Bill Murray. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, in a vein, it's like that same sort of thing, at least with a Christmas Carol, you know, who's. In, in a very real sense, haunting him right. with this scenario he has to go through, um, which I think is probably the key difference between, you know, at least those two sort of things. And it's, again, it's like, we all know Christmas Carol. It's yet another right. one. Uh, it's a very good one. It's super watchable. Um, and I love some of the kind of out there stuff they did um, like with the ghosts and like, you know, some of the transitions between scenes and how he gets, you know, they, they did some kind yeah. of like fun, like visual effects yeah. work in that movie that, that I think people don't always talk about. When is that movie? Is that, that's before our time in this, right? It's that's like, not coming like, down the pipeline. I, I want to say it's like 88. I was going to say, yeah. So we probably won't really touch on that. So this will be our moment to chat a little about Scrooge as it was, but uh, yeah, another, another great movie. Um, I overall like, Groundhog Day more. I think it has a better oh, I think so. than Scrooge for sure. Um, but yes, a, again, sort of like a living his sins until he fixes himself sort of sort of scenario. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, what's funny about, you know, this is almost in a way some sort of like distant cousin to it though, in a way. I don't know why. Um it's in a similar vein for sure. But, you know, overall it's a great movie. It's super watchable i mean i'm sure you people have seen it but it's i i really loved it um i do like the car the harold ramus cameo in it as well as like his doctor examining him which i find pretty funny um but overall it's really just a wonderful movie and it's uh definitely was far better than uh than loader weapon one (laughs) i'll say that while we're on the topic, before we hit the show's wrap up, um, I just thought I'd mention because it's it is so interesting. Um, time loop movies and time loops as a as a plot device for for movies or TV shows, and I have to say, like, I, there's a lot of them out there that are probably kind of crummy, but there's a lot that are pretty damn good too. And I started trying to think like what some of the other ones were that that are in that vein. Did you ever see Edge of Tomorrow? Oh, that movie's fantastic. That movie is. So good. And I love how they use the time loop in that. Like, you know, it's just like such a fun um, approach to it. And like, there's definitely like other stuff out there that that kind of use it in, in that same sort of vein. But I'll tell you another favorite one of mine. And this is like a deep cut. So you're probably going to like roll your eyes when I say, because I know you probably remember me being a uh, old school fan of this when I was in uh, college. But Stargate has an awesome uh, Stargate SG-1, I should say, has an awesome time loop episode. But oh, is it really? <laughs> it was yeah, funny. so good. It was really compelling. Um, and it's like, I, I think that's where I kind of fell in love with the time loop sort of thing. Hmm. And then there's been like several more since that I've seen in different other things. That's kind of a fun thing. So I don't know. Like, do you have any others you can think of off the top of your head? Uh, so there, I, I actually, speaking of another movie that I really like, is that Palm Springs movie with, with uh, Andy Sandberg. Uh, I like I that movie. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I didn't know if it did that. That's cool. I like that movie a lot. Uh, there's that Source Code movie with uh, um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Have you ever seen that? Where he's trying to like stop a bomb on a train from blowing up and save yes, the people? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I saw that years ago. Yes, I was like, it seems so familiar. But yes, that's absolutely, I've seen yeah, that. That's, uh, you know, and that was one of those movies that I waited, waited, waited to see it till I was like watching it on streaming. I was like, wow, this is actually a really good movie. Um, 
other than that, I, I mean, would you consider? I know, I'm putting you on the spot here. I was just like, it just started me thinking the other day about it. <laughs> the only other, I mean, it's not really a time loop movie, but it is kind of in a, a similar loop as 12 Monkeys, the movie. Yeah, like that or like a looper, um, yeah. you know, things like, you know, like dealing with that sort of like paradox of like, you know, going back in time and, and the change of things. I mean, certainly it gets into time travel and the whole nine yards, yeah. but um, time travel, you know, <laughs> but there's another Marvel reference for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a fun, uh, fun thing. And I think it works so damn well for, for this movie. So um, very cool, uh, very yeah. cool sort of movie. All right, well, uh, let's wrap this sucker up. So if you'd like to chat with us, you know, talk about the show, get in touch with us, hang out with us on our social media, you can go to Box Office 30 on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y on Instagram. You can go to our website also, boxoffice30.com. Thank you, Pete, for leaving all these notes for me. I just want to point out, it's uh, it's really funny. I guess you got a new webcam because every time you move, it like motion tracks you. <laughs> I was curious if you noticed that. So um, here's a little uh, free uh, bit of advertising for them. Um, since the pandemic started and everybody had to get on web cameras, um, I was not using Zoom at first. And Zoom and a lot of softwares did not have to begin virtual backgrounds or blurred backgrounds or things like that. And I had a in early on into um, the pandemic, I had a, a need, a particular need to have my camera to be able to remove backgrounds or do certain things like that. Um, so I found this software called um, X split VCAM and I bought like a, like a lifetime uh, buy into it. Cause I was, I was so impressed by what they were doing with it. And over time they've updated the software and as a default it just starts with my computer and in one of the new updates one of their new features was tracking face so <laughs> we're like if i move my face around it now follows me around the space <laughs> which means nothing to anybody listening to this podcast but it is pretty damn cool if you can <laughs> see the video um so yes I, I i flicked that on tonight just for kicks to see if it would uh, it was pretty funny. oh i noticed it it was like oh it's cameras moving that's funny but yeah when, i just want to call attention to that because i thought it was hilarious <laughs> but you know i want to take a moment to thank jason and Nikki from the retro network for hosting us giving us a platform for our show you know supporting us and, and being so flexible with us and, you know, really cheering us on. I also, we've been saying this several times, but I want to put out some sort of a poll on Twitter <laughs> that we can set up and Pete and I will figure this out. And we'd like to do something where we could send a couple people, some of our box office 30 stickers that we have. And just yeah. so you have a little cool little keepsake for yourselves and, Put it on your bumper, put it on a you know your laptop or whatever. I don't care, but we want to get some of that stuff out there because they're really nice stickers, and uh, I really like them a lot. And uh, if you also want some other merch, you can go to our T Public store and get you know some really cool Box Office Thirty branded logo, you know sweatshirts or coffee mugs or T shirts or hoodies or whatever you. I don't know. Go crazy. I got to buy myself some stuff too. I keep meaning to, and I keep neglecting to do so, but I plan to do it soon. Um, we'll put the link for that in our show notes, as well as our social medias and on our boxoffice30.com website. But listen, as everybody, you know, before we sign off here, 
let's talk about our movies for March. And I was about to say, this is like the one thing, like now that we've changed formats again, we're used to talking about it right after the review, but <laughs> now we got to work it into the, uh, I should do a better job working it into the show notes in the middle of the wrap up somewhere. But uh, okay. here's the, here's the titles that I came up with. Um, these are essentially the top five minus uh, Groundhog Day, which is number four for um, March. So um, we have Falling Down, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Crying Game, and Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. So I'm thinking that we throw these um, into a poll again. Hold and- that thought. Hold on. Okay. Yep. I will slow my roll here. <laughs> the Crying Game came out in November. Homeward Bound came out in February. Do we really oh, wanna- I think I was pulling it off the wrong. <laughs> Wait, how is that possible? Wait, how would that be that high on the uh, how Oscar- crying game be that high on the oh for Oscars? Oscar season. All right, um, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna redact the crying game. I think we should still leave Homeward Bound in there. <laughs> so I'm gonna give you a choice: either Fire in the Sky or Point of No Return. Neither. <laughs> here's here's my thing. I think those three are are a strong batch to select from because I don't see those other two getting into the vote. And I I don't even know that I see anything outside of even falling down or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles winning the vote, to be honest with you. But um I and I don't want to put words in in his mouth or put him on the spot. But if we do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, I think I'd like to get Luke back here to join us again because we had a lot of fun with the three of us for Ninja Turtles 2 and he might uh, get a kick out of joining us for 3. So I'm I'm sort of putting him on the uh the spot for that. So <laughs> we'll, I'll I'll let him know about that in the meantime, but we'll see which way the uh the vote goes. I'd be happy watching Falling Down. I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, Homeward Bound, I'd probably be like, eh, all right, you know, like I've definitely seen it a bunch of times. Do you want to just do the two? Want to just do it? I mean, we talked about it tonight. Let, yeah, let me pull that out. And again, I know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three is by far the weakest and most disliked mm-hmm. of the bunch, so I can't really see that winning over Falling Down. But um, who knows? We'll we'll see. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw it into a poll just because I miss doing the poll. We haven't done it in two months. <laughs> yeah. So we'll do the poll and it'll be just two movies, Falling Down and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. So check it out on our, on our Twitter page. Cast your ballot and we'll get it out, I promise, by the end of March. <laughs> it will be there. <laughs> That's a big promise. Yeah. <laughs> Given our current track record. <laughs> Uh, you know, the other thing I, before we just leave off the show, I should mention is that um, I, I do want to say we have a couple of uh, new listeners I found out about this week. A couple people actually came up to me in person and, and mentioned they were listening. So little shout out to Rob and Mr. Butler. If you're if you're out there in listener land, thank you for joining and, and thank you for all those. We've got a little slowly but steadily uh, growing group of people who are tuning in. So uh, thanks to those cool. out there in listener land. And, uh, that's going to do it for us for February. All right. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Bye, friends. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.